good to see your smiling faces this morning. I think you're all smiling. We'll see in a second. I'm glad you're here. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Heaven Bound, and we're trying to understand from the biblical point of view what heaven is like. It's a question all of us have had before, right? What does it look like? And there's a lot of misconceptions. We dealt with one entire series about what heaven is not like. You will not go to heaven, stand on a cloud, and play a harp, and, and, and have a halo over your head. You're not going to be an angel. There's, there's no such thing as purgatory. There's all these things that we, that we walk through that's important to understand. But we also understood last week that there is new heaven and new earth, which means when we think about the location of heaven, heaven is here in its perfected state, and you will be perfected too. And we're going to deal with that to some degree this morning. Um, Psalm 1611. Now, we're going to be all over Scripture this morning, so back in the tech booth, they're going to have a challenge. Um, but the purpose of heaven, and I want you to understand this, from the very beginning as we started out on this series about understanding what heaven is like, the purpose of heaven is to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. Now, what that means is that when you bring glory to something, when you make much of something, it brings you joy, especially if it's the right thing, right? When you make much of something you purchased, when uh, my daughter uh, went to, the, I'm afraid to tell this story, but I am. My daughter went to a Taylor Swift concert this weekend. We were one of the lucky few that got a ticket at the very beginning, and I begged her, she turned 16, I begged her, let me sell your ticket so I can buy you a really, really, really nice car. And she said, no, Taylor's more important, Dad. And uh, I got videos from this thing, and you're talking about glorifying something, uh, and they were happy. They were happy, 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 and Daddy's broke, 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 you know? When you make much of God, the creator of joy and happiness, what is the absolute effect of that? Joy and happiness, right? Regardless of circumstances, you make much of Him, there's joy. And that's what heaven is like. It's not a congregational singing, it's joy. And that's your purpose in the midst of that. And our job, expressing that joy in how we live, what we do, what we preach, how we say it, how we love. And we've done that in some ways this past week. And I want to show you a couple of things. We don't do it perfectly. I want you to know that. I've told you a hundred times. If you find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you're going to mess it up. And those are things. But there's a couple of things I want you to know about that's happening in this church that we're trying to express that joy and express the gospel, which leads to that joy. Several months ago, uh, we did a project. A couple of folks in our church did a project to where they wanted to, uh, we were asked to build a pavilion. Uh, for defects so that parents visiting their children for supervised visitation would have a place to sit outside and some folks in our church went and built, built this huge pavilion for them to sit outside that was completed this past a couple of weeks ago and it's amazing and that's the way we get to bring joy is it not and that's something that we've been able to help provide for financially and Daryl and his crew built uh, as a uh, as a way to demonstrate the love of God Another story this past week, and I love this one. Uh, a lady called me who was a first-time guest. You may be here this morning, uh, last week, and she said, I have some questions about your church, which never happens. Normally, I have to run you guys down and ask questions about you so you can ask questions about our church to find out we don't have on snakes or anything like that. And so um, she called me, and she said, I want you to know your greeters made me feel so loved on Sunday and accepted, and I hope that's the norm for you. But I want to just point that out. If you're a greeter, if you're working in hospitality, a coffee bar, thank you. You're, you're making it happen. And I know we miss some people. You may be here and you, nobody even spoke to you. And I apologize. I want to speak to you as you leave. And then in the Dominican Republic right now, we're expressing joy 
by demonstrating a way that there is hope and healing through Christ. And so I want to show you a really quick video clip of what's happening in the DR. Now, it's grainy because it was filmed yesterday in the DR on a phone, but I want you to see what's happening with this team uh, in the DR right now. Support. Hello, all, and welcome. We are here in Santiago at our church that we started several years ago, and we're doing the Hope Conference, and we are talking to these folks about trauma and how this church and our church needs to be a place of healing. We thank you all for your support of this. It's been incredible. We see some movement of God, and it's an incredible place to be. And we thank you all for that. We just had about a two-hour um, talk here at the church. So we would ask that you just pray that the Holy Spirit would be. Thank you all, and keep the prayers coming, and we will see you again when we get back. Join a mission trip as it comes up, guys. That's what this, is, this church really needs to be out in the world, and that's what we're doing. Thanks. Pretty cool, right? Y'all can clap for that. That's pretty cool. Now, here's the deal. Uh, they'll be, you really need to pray for them tomorrow because they have a 15-hour flight back. For some reason, it got routed to LaGuardia in New York, so they're going to sit there all day. So uh, they might not be as uh, joyful tomorrow. <laughs> Why don't we show you all this? Why don't we tell you all this? Because our role is to give people a taste of heaven, and that's what the good things are in life. Second Peter chapter 3. I love this. Remember our purpose, to glorify Him and enjoy, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the purpose of heaven. That's the purpose of your life. But 2 Peter says this, But in keeping with His promise that if you know Christ, you'll go to heaven, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now leave that on the screen for a moment. We're not going to be there, but I want to dissect it for a second. Notice what the passage says. We're looking forward to something. You're looking forward to something, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're a Georgia football fan, you're looking forward to the season opener, right, guys? If you're a Georgia football fan, you're looking forward to Eagles playing if you watch the draft this week. If you are looking forward to hopefully maybe casserole after dinner, after church, I don't know. But here's the deal. Ultimately, those things pass, and we have to look forward to something greater, which is perfection, which is no worry, no anxiety. Notice that little last phrase there, where righteousness dwells. That means everything's cool. Everything's perfect. The stresses of life are gone. I look forward to that, don't y'all? But here's the deal. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought what you're going to be like in heaven? What you're going to be like? Because here's the deal. If we look forward to something, we picture ourselves there. Agreed? What's it going to be like? And many of you thought, well, am I going to be an angel? No, because God created you as a human, and you'll still be human, okay, in your perfect state. Some of you are like, well, what am I going to look like? Because that's a good question. Am I going to be like the five-year-old me? Am I going to be like the 18-year-old me? Am I going to be in the best shape me? You know, am I going to be the 95-year-old me? You're going to be perfect. I'll never forget uh, when, when Snapchat came out, they had these filters. You know what I'm talking about? And you do these little filters, and you send those funny little songs or funny little sayings to people, and sometimes you look like a dog. Sometimes you look like a lollipop. Sometimes you look like different things. And I always like, I hated actually, uh, you know, taking the filter and, and putting it on myself, and it was like me, you know, 35 years from now, and what it made me look like. Y'all done this before, right? What are you going to look like when you get older? I'm thinking when I'm 95, what am I going to do? Am I going to put it up there as a skeleton? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> but we think, like, what are we going to be like? How are we going to respond? Let me give you a couple of things. There's some false assumptions here. One, we think we'll get to heaven, and specifically if you grew up in this context, and you're going to be rewarded for all these things that you've done right. And you're going to be given all these crowns. 
Can I tell you, any crown that you receive in heaven, Scripture says you're going to lay back at the feet of Jesus because our righteousness is filthy rags in His sight. We don't deserve it. Two, we sometimes think when we get to heaven, we'll be totally different than we are now. But like we've said before, you were created as a human, and then you're going to be perfected as a human from a scriptural standpoint. So there's two ways to look in this. Two different ways that you can look at what you're going to be like in heaven. One is an egocentric way. Let's talk about the egocentric way for a moment. The egocentric way is I'm going to have all the things I've ever wanted. You're going to drive down the streets of gold in the perfect sports car or whatever it may be. I'm going to have, I'm going to have the body of the after picture on Facebook. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm still working on my before. You're going to have the memory. You're going to have the, the vocal cords better than Celine Dion and Mariah Carey or Adele. And Taylor. <laughs> Not hard. Um, you're going to have all these things going. That's the egocentric way. The Christocentric way, Christ in the middle of everything. When we go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, notice what it says here. He is making all things new. We, 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 we have to understand as he creates heaven and earth and makes it perfect, you're involved in that. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, the very end of the Bible. But in keeping with his promise, 2 Peter says this, but go to Revelation 21, 5. Notice what happens here. He who is seated on the throne. Now remember, Revelation is written by the Apostle John, who has a vision of what heaven's going to look like that corresponds to the Old Testament and Ezekiel, different places like that. And he says, God says, I am making everything what? New. That includes you. Not just this planet. So as you stare at the perfected Andes Mountain, as you stare at the perfected Mount Everest, as you stare at the perfected Pacific Ocean, understand this. You're perfect too. You're perfect too. That's good news for us, is it not? But understand, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we're all over the place. I want you to get this. When the gospel comes into your life, I love what, what the Apostle Paul says. There's being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry out to his completion until the day of Christ. When you've read that verse before, some of you love that verse, right? Because you're thinking, man, all these things that I'm doing and working for, God's going to make it happen. And that's a gross misinterpretation of that verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, you've heard this before. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. And I, you remember even as a, as a high school football player who wasn't very religious, I'd write this on, my, on the tape around my ankle because God's going to give me the strength to pummel this person. That's not what that means means it means that he who begins a good work in you mean when he plants a seed of the gospel in your life hear me on this is he's going to carry out to his completion to where you're perfect one day in christ makes sense that's the good news it's not he who began a good work on you so you'll get a raise it's not he who began a good work in you so you'll have a perfect marriage it's he who began a good work in you is going to make everything perfect one day so, what we want to struggle with for a few minutes is how or what are we going to be like. So, the, the big theme here is this. God is making you new now from the inside out, if you know Jesus. God is making you new now, if you know Christ from the inside out. Now, I'm going to give you three decades of theology in three minutes. Are you ready? 
and this is going to be fast, so if you're a note taker, listen fast and write fast. When we talk about that idea, God is making you new now, it focuses on a couple of things. One thing is, is that God is changing us from the inside out. And that means Ezekiel 37, verse 26. Let's put that up on the screen. It means that in your inner being, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. The Bible talks about that you are a new creation. Is that when you come to know Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. That starts in the inside as you are completely and totally regenerated. You move from a position in God's eyes from spiritual death to spiritual life. He is making you new. The second thing you need to understand is that God justifies us completely. The idea of justification means that you are placed in right standing. Now, I know this is hard to believe, but as a kid, I'd go to school, I'd get in trouble a lot. And it was unfortunate that my mom was a teacher, and she would make her way down the hallway a lot just to check and make sure I wasn't in trouble. Nine times out of ten, I was sitting in the hall. Can anybody relate to that reality? A justified state is saying that you're in a position to where you're not in trouble anymore. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I love this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We use that verse a lot, but I want you to get it. He's making you new from the inside out, and then he places you in a position of, of saying, that's my kid. Romans 8, verse 1. You ever feel guilty for your sin if you're a Christian? You ever, feel, you ever beat yourself up? Absolutely. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning when you experience grace, you're in a position to where you're not going to be condemned anymore. That's good news. That's him making you new from the inside out. And then one more thing here we need to get is that God is now conforming us to his image. Meaning that process of making you new starts from the inside out. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and been called according to his purpose. Now understand this. This is what's important. Is it the circumstances and the issues and the problems and the temptations and the things you go through in life God is using to make you like him. I also love what happens 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Notice what happens here. Is it said, He is making us new, and we who, are, who, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed in His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want you to focus on that phrase, with ever-increasing glory. What does that mean? Is it the more you grow in Christ, the more you experience Christ, and the more you look like Christ? You get that? And that's what He's doing. Just like the potter takes the lump of clay and shapes it, that's what he's doing in our lives. Now, the justification is all God. The growth is you and God. And that's the thing. So, if we were to sum it up, now that's 30 years of theology and probably three and a half minutes, but when you come to faith, you repent, you basically say, I'm going in the wrong direction, Lord, save me. That's what repentance means. You come to knowing. He regenerates you, he adopts you as his child, he justifies you, and now these are all big biblical words. He sanctifies you, he's making you like him. And eventually, when we experience heaven, he glorifies you. Those are all good things, right? That's a lot. But you gotta understand, that's what's happened to you now if you're a Christian. You're being made and have been made right. So what are you gonna look like? Because in John chapter 11, Verses 43 through 44, Jesus raises a guy named Lazarus from the dead. 
And notice what happens. He says, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out of the tomb. And I love this little phrase here. He says, the dead man came out with his hand and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, why are, we, why are we talking about this in the concept of heaven? It's because Lazarus has been made alive, but yet he still looks like a dead man. And for many of us, you've been made alive. Christ has redeemed you and changed you from the inside but the out still smells and looks like death you've been there and as we grow these grave clothes come off and ultimately when we encounter heaven we're perfected completely so let's get a couple of truths out of this stuff that we're dealing with this morning truth number one we've tasted heaven it's not we're not home yet we're getting there we will be like this complete and total redemption you need to understand that when you get to heaven is complete and total redemption what does that mean what do we mean by that it means you will be completely perfect now i say that and i've said it several times but you got to get it revelation chapter 6 verse 11 notice what scripture says here it says then each of them will be given a white robe and they will know they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of fellow servants now there's that's an apocalyptic prophecy is saying hey those who are in heaven i just want you to focus on the first part will wear a white robe white represents purity and perfection and that's what those robes are representing in that moment and when we think about purity and perfection i want you to understand that through the resurrection of christ you will also be resurrected in christ and made perfect and that's total and complete redemption you have been made new first corinthians chapter 15 i told you to turn there but notice what happens in verses 12 through 14 but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, so is your faith. Now, what does this mean? It means that if you don't believe that one day Christ will redeem you and resurrect you and take your mortal body and your inner soul and make it perfect, then this whole resurrection thing, this whole Christian thing is pointless can't be a christian without believing that christ is alive he rose from the dead and one day you'll be alive resurrected from the dead but it goes on further we're going to skip down a few a lot go to verse 50 notice what happens here i declare you brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable listen i tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead in christ will be right raised imperishable and we will be what changed i want you to really focus on that we will be imperishable in verse 52 we will be changed what does that mean total and complete redemption not just the physical but the emotional the mental the trauma the scars the issues the things that you struggle with let me ask you a question have you ever struggled with something and worked so hard to overcome it any of y'all or is it just me all of us right we've all struggled with stuff I'll give you an example out of my life years ago and some of you remember this uh 15 20 years ago i was in whenever hurricane katrina was we lived in the new orleans area and uh we were uh, serving and doing things and doing all types of disaster relief and I herniated a disc in my back and instead of doing something about it I decided to tough it out and just make do and live with the pain 15 years later the pain was worse y'all been there before any y'all been that stupid before this is just me you hear what I'm saying and so started to shut down nerves and all this stuff so several years ago I decided let's get back surgery so went into the hospital got the back surgery got the thing fixed problem still hurt 
If you ever see me limping around, it's not because I'm tired it's because, or hurt. It's because my nerves don't work in my right leg. And so sometimes I limp because my leg's tired. I don't even know it. So I went to my doctor. I said, Doc, I thought you fixed this. He's like, I did. Everything's healed. Problem is your nerves hadn't woken up yet, and they're still sending the old messages. Here's the point. Is that you are alive in Christ, and you are made new from the inside out. But your flesh is still sending the old messages about who you are and what you struggle with. And that becomes our identity rather than in Christ. You follow me on this? We walk with a limp in life. But the great thing is, in Christ, in heaven, the limp is gone. Now, we can minimize the limp. We can grow in our relationship with Jesus. In fact... If you do know Christ, that means you are being made new, which means change is going to happen. That's why we don't deal with cheap conversion. What I mean by cheap conversion is, okay, yeah, I believe, and do nothing afterwards. You're not a Christian if that's your case. I'm just going to be straight up with you, man. You know Christ, things happen, things change. Not because you're earning God's favor, but because you have God's favor. Follow the difference? Now, there is something we need to deal with right here. The Bible says you're slave to one thing or another. You're a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to evil, period. Righteousness is good because in righteousness there's freedom. Romans chapter 6, verse 18. I love what it says here. It elevates and amplifies this idea of being a slave to righteousness. Turn there or you can, we'll have it on the screen in just a moment. Chapter 6, verse 18. It says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, what does that mean? You've shackled yourself to Jesus. But here's the problem. If you skip chapter over, you may be righteous, but sometimes we're held captive. Chapter 7, verse 21. So you find this law at work. Although, see if this is you. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. Do you, you all deal with that? Or is it just me? You're set free, but sometimes free people are held captive. I watched the movie again several, uh, several weeks ago, and I'm, I'm sure some of you remember it, Black Hawk Down. Have you all ever seen the movie? Great movie. Somewhat historically accurate, but one of the pilots in Black Hawk Down in the Battle of Mogadishu there in the 90s was shot down and he was held captive for about 10 or 12 days by the gangs and the warlords in that area. And even though he was an American, he was free, he was still held captive. That's some of us in our spiritual journey, right? And the things you struggle with, things I struggle with, are the things that hold us captive. And we can choose to depend on the Lord to set us free from those things. But understand this is that when we get to heaven, we're not going to be held captive by things anymore. Those intrusive thoughts, those anxieties, those worries, those things that you struggle with financially, isn't that a good thing? Those are gone, man. Cancer, those types of stuff, I mean, gone. It's important stuff to get. So understand, it's complete and total redemption. But here's another thing, perfect relationships. That's good news, right? And when we think about some of the visions of heaven we see in Scripture, we get this whole idea of what it's going to look like. But I want you to take it to a new level. To me, this is more indescribable. You'll have a perfect relationship with everybody. You're going to like everybody for you people who hate everybody, all right? <laughs> Y'all with me? It will not be Walmart. 
<laughs> You're going to like everybody. It's going to be a perfect relationship with people. Have you ever thought about that? And, and some of us struggle. What about the people who aren't there? Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. We've used this several times. It says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The grief is gone. The mourning is gone. The pain is gone. Now, let's deal with this a little bit more in detail because I think it's important for us to understand that because some people say, well, I'll be married in heaven. Now, some of you are like, I hope not. <laughs> I love my wife, actually, and uh, I really enjoy her company. I love being around her. Will we be married in heaven? No. Now, some of you are like, what? Understand this. Marriage, biblically speaking, is a signpost to what will happen because the church is described as the bride of Christ and we'll be, we will be married to Jesus. What does that mean? It means you will have a better relationship with your spouse than you ever had on earth because you will be unified in your relationship with Jesus. And that, remember our premise, is joy. You follow me on this? Now, this is hard for some of us to comprehend because we love our families, agreed? But if we could take it, take your best day with your children or your spouse or your significant other. Take your best day. It's not even close to what you're going to experience in heaven. It's perfect because all these issues that you have personally, they have personally, are gone. They're evaporated. And there's perfection and unity and perfection with the Lord. Now, Let's take this a little bit further here. Will we recognize others and will we know our family? You ready for this one? If they're there, yes. <laughs> and what happens is, is the family members that you're with, you'll have a perfect relationship because we all have that weird uncle, right? Let's think about this for a second, guys. Think about somebody from a relational perspective we just don't get along with. There are those people, right? And there are people in my life I'm just going to be real. I'm supposed to be a professional Christian here, but I'm, I'm going to be real with you guys. There's some people I just don't like who love Jesus, and I don't want to be around. Any of y'all like that? It's just I mean, I, and I know I'm that person for some of y'all. I annoy you, okay? I get it. Sometimes my wife says, you're a little much today. <laughs> I know that surprises you. But in heaven, those people we can't stand will become our brothers and sisters in Christ, and you won't have a problem. And everybody becomes family. It amplifies the joy to a level that we can't comprehend here. You follow that? You will have perfection mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And the personal relationships will be perfect. Last thought, and then we're going to wind down. You're going to have an unbroken relationship with God. Now, what does this mean? This is what you will be like. Have you guys ever struggled in your relationship with God? On the count of three, everybody say yes. One, two, three. Yes, right? We've all struggled. We've all had these things like we feel like we pray and it bounces off the ceiling and comes back down. Y'all been there? Maybe you're a little dry spiritually. You don't know what to do. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you're frustrated with the church. Maybe you've been hurt. What about your relationship with God? You're not speaking into a void. You will have an unbroken relationship with the Lord. It will be perfect. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. I love this. For we now see only a reflection. This is what you're seeing as a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we will see him face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. He knows you fully, and one day you'll know him fully. It's good news for us. There will be no distance, only acceptance. And I love the imagery in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. It says in heaven, there'll be no sun because the lamb is the lamp, which means Jesus is the light. There'll be no need for fear or darkness or frustration. Christ provides the light, drawing us to him in a perfect relationship. So here's the question. What do we do while we wait? Because you're not perfect yet. You're being made perfect. You're perfect in God's eyes. But obviously we struggle. We see that with the calories we count and the anxieties that we have. Agreed? So what do we do while we wait? Well, you prepare for it. Well, how do you prepare? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll deal with this one verse. I'm going to give you two steps of application, and then I'm going to let you go. Here we go. Chapter 15. At the end of this amazing chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what talks about you personally, it's a great text to study about going to heaven and what you're going to be like. He says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. That's what you do while you wait. You know Jesus. He's regenerated you, adopted you, justified you, sanctified you, and you're waiting for your glorification. You follow that? What do you do while you wait? Here you go. You stand firm. Don't let anything move you and serve the Lord. That's it. So let's boil it down. Stand firm, be immovable, focused, and focused ahead. That's what that means. Stand firm. Focus on what is to come, not at what is. Second Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 8 says that we are to now there is, is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on the day, and not only to me, but also those who have longed, which means loved, for his appearing. Is that what we hope for? And the thing is, this is why in a state of grace you can't earn heaven, but this is why you continue to act like you earn heaven. Let me just pause for two seconds here. Don't confuse Christianity with moralisms. Morals do not make you right before God. God makes you right before God. You feel me on this? So important. But why should you be moral? <clears throat> if you're right before God because of God, you ever question the thing, why should I do the right thing? I mean, because let's just be real. We can say, well, I love humanity. Well, that's not always the case because some of us don't. The point, here's why. By releasing what is here and doing the right thing to focus on the Lord, we allow the things of God to focus, uh, to bring our focus into place and disallow the things of this world to blind us of what heaven's going to be like. That's why. That's why. We get our focus right. So, second thing is we serve God. We bring others with us. Give our lives wholeheartedly to the work of God. We bring others the gospel. As a believer, that's your job. That's your job. It's a hard one, isn't it? It's difficult. It's uncomfortable. But God didn't make you to be comfortable. He made you to be Christ-like. So a couple years ago, my wife and I um, took an epic vacation to Colorado. We spent eight days driving through Colorado, through the Rocky Mountains, to the Great Sand Dunes National Park. Started in Denver, <coughs> which is the worst airport on the planet. Spent 32 hours there. Never want to go back. While we were there, before we went, my wife, now, and this is one thing I love about my wife, because I am not like this. 
I'm the kind of guy that'll pack everything in a trash bag the day of and go. Any of y'all like that? And you can buy stuff there, right? Any of y'all, y'all with me on that? You can buy a toothbrush there. They got those. I'm pretty sure there's Walmarts in Colorado. There is in Colorado. They have drugstores. People have teeth there, so you can wash there. That kind of stuff. They need it like we do. So all that said and done, but my wife, I mean, she is a planner, and thank God she is because we are all alive. And um, she plans, and so for like three or four months, she researched this place, man. She could tell you everything about Colorado. She planned what car we were going to drive, why we are going to drive this car, why it was important to drive this car, where we are going to stay, where to rent the boards to ski down the Great Sand Dunes, which was really cool, what entrance to go to in the Rocky Mountain National Park so we wouldn't hit traffic, where to go at what time of day, what trail to take, how long that trail would take to hike, how to take the photograph, where to go to the Continental Divide, where to go to Breckenridge, all those things. We did all that stuff, and it was fantastic. Fantastic. We even found a hotel or a little Airbnb in this community where it was the highest elevation, where there was no light so you could see the stars clearer than anywhere else in the nation during that time of day. It was fascinating. She made it perfect. Why? Because she prepared. She was looking forward to it. Let me ask you a question. Do we do that same type of thing in our preparation to experience heaven? You get what I'm saying? If we're going to take a trip, we're going to know where we're going typically, or at least Siri is going to tell us. But if you're going to heaven, and here's the focus. Know where you're going, but here's the bigger focus. Know who you're going to. The more you study Jesus, the more excited you'll get. So my challenge to all of us is to know Jesus. Two ways. Those of you who've never asked Christ to come into your life is A, B, and C. Admit you're separated from God because of sin but God loves you so much he created a solution for your sin problem so you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross take the punishment you deserve rose from the dead to conquer sin and death so see you confess him some of you are at that point you need to make it real you can text in the phrase on the screen put it on your connect card and I'll be in touch with you or you can grab me in the lobby and say I need Christ today two you gotta grow in Jesus make it a point to focus ahead the more you know Jesus the more you'll crave heaven. You with me on that? Guys, I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that takes effort. He's given you the seed. He's watering it. He's fertilized it. Now let it grow. You with me on that? Let's pray. Father, you are good. We are imperfect and unworthy. And so Christ, I pray. I pray that this morning that we would experience truth and experience you. And I ask God that uh, those who don't know you come to know you. I ask God that we would grow in you. And so, Jesus, as we experience, as we focus, as we seek, that you would overwhelm us with a presence and a peace that transcends all understanding. There might be some questions today, Eli. Answer those questions. May you work in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you.